Hello, this is Up Talk from Chatelaine, and I'm your host, Rachel Giza. On this episode... With us, it was like, oh, we must be deliberately trying to make money and sell records. And P.S.? Yeah. <laughs> Why is success so gross when it's on a woman? It's, it shouldn't be. That was Canadian pop duo, industry veterans, Tegan and Sarah. Their latest record, which is their eighth, is called Love You to Death. We'll talk about the state of pop music, queering the mainstream, and sibling strife. My conversation with Tegan and Sarah is coming up on Up Talk. But first, let's hear a bit of the lead single, Boyfriend. Tell you that I love you, that I can hold back. The 36-year-old Quinn twins from Calgary have been doing music professionally for more than half their lives. They started out as, quote, folk artists, but their music has certainly seen a natural progression. Their last album, 2013's Heartthrob, turned them from cult indie artists into bonafide pop stars. You probably still can't get their earwormy single closer out of your head. But despite their success, they still maintain their DIY work ethic, small band approach, and introspective lyrics. Their eighth album, Love You to Death, which came out this past summer, has been called their biggest, strongest, and catchiest to date. And perhaps surprisingly, it's their most explicitly queer. Musically, Tegan and Sarah have become more of who they are, and it's pretty terrific to listen to. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Up Talk, Tegan and Sarah. Hi. Hello. Love You to Death is your eighth album, and it's terrific. And it's your Thank biggest... You. Oh, you're welcome. It's your biggest dive into into pop uh, so far, even though that's been kind of the direction you've been moving towards. Does it surprise you at this point in your career to be two queer women solidly in mainstream pop? Well, it's interesting first just to address like this is our biggest dive into pop. Like I think we don't have that perspective only because we're in the midst of it. Even Heartthrob didn't feel like a big dive. That was our seventh record and people made such a big deal out of the production. And it was only years later looking back, like most recently and going, oh yeah, that was a huge jump, especially from Sainthood, which I think was Mm -hmm. such a live feeling record and we didn't do a ton of overdubbing. So I think for us, like Love You to Death just feels totally normal. It just feels like the next thing that we did. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question about waking up one day and feeling like we're a part of the mainstream or being accepted into the pop world, it feels really nice. It's honestly, it's quite refreshing. We felt like outsiders for a long time. Um, But I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about this in the last little bit. I think it's important to still identify that we are still a small band I think we're making pop music we are not pop stars and it's funny like the headlines are so hyperbolic (laughs) it's like Tegan and Sarah pop stars and it's like yes we came to this uh interview in a in a helicopter it's like no I mean we're we're still fairly I would say we're still very much the same size band we've always been in terms of 
like production and crew and staff and even sales, but I do think we have an enormous reach now and I think we are reaching more people. We just aren't entirely sure what that means yet. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting because your path is not a typical one, I think, for a lot of female pop stars where, um, you know, you guys were doing more of a a DIY indie approach um, from the time you were teenagers and really built yourselves as musicians, as performers, um, built the business of your career. So this isn't sort of an overnight you know, mm-hmm. jump into being artists, this has been the result of almost 20 years mm-hmm. of working together. Sarah, do you think that made a difference in terms of this, the pop direction, sort of having had that history behind you? You know, we're making music that fits under the umbrella of pop music, but we're not always making that music the way other people make it. And we're not always approaching our touring career or our uh, or the marketing of our band in the way that other people do in the pop world. And probably that just comes from spending 17 years in a sort of indie rock DIY mentality. I, I didn't, I wasn't upset with that side of the business. You know, I actually really liked being hands-on. I was never like, let's move into pop music so we can do less of what we like. <laughs> I was like, let's move into pop music so we can reach new people and right. talk to new people. And and it's also important here, I'll interject, Sarah, sorry to interrupt, but it's also important. You said DIY. And, uh, you know, the early part of our career was like that, but we've always been on a major label. Right. You know, we just were, as Sarah said, we were very much like we were our own insular world and we just didn't let anybody in. And everyone kind of just let us get away with that. <laughs> but, and where did that come from, that kind of confidence um, to actually to say we're going to do it our way? Like, you know, you're with a major label, but you decided that you were still going to chart your own path. Because I think, you know, you guys started out so young. And mm-hmm. again, like for a lot of um, particularly female artists, the sort of the first album comes out and it's very packaged and it's very much produced by a producer and it's their vision not the vision of the artist necessarily mm. so where did that come from that that kind of confidence and that swagger um, early on I don't even think it probably was I think it might have been the opposite of that it might have been a lack of confidence and it was sort of like <laughs> you know not like I don't know it's funny because it's like a bit of a re, re uh, remembering now because I I'm sort of feel like I'm making up a new interesting answer in recent months but I remember the beginning of our career now almost through the lens of um like I think that I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do I was moving out of my parents house I wasn't in high school anymore I wasn't going to college I didn't want to have anyone tell me what to do I didn't like that even though there were record companies interested in us and there were agents interested in us there was a lot of excitement and activity around the project really early on i i found it we suspicious were skept- and yes, irritating we were skeptical yes we would get we would come home it was another it was a never another authority figure who was going to replace <laughs> school or replace right. parents and i i remember yeah. it being less about like we don't want to sell out it was more like i don't want anyone to tell me what to do I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be graded. I didn't want to be told this is the this is the trajectory you should be on because we were told that almost immediately. I mean, the second Tegan and I started playing guitar in a way where we were sort of opening ourselves up to feedback, we were given it all the time. And it was usually by older men. And those were the people who felt comfortable to come in and say, you should try playing these guitar chords or you should try playing on a click so that it's more in time or you should wear makeup when you're on television because you'll it'll show off your features. I mean, those things irritated me and I, I was already irritated, you know, and I was, I felt freedom by not being in school and not living in my parents' house anymore. And something about getting into a traditional record contract and having a lot of support around us just sounded like, um, you know, going back to kind of a place where we were imprisoned somehow. Yeah. And do you think that, that sort of, that was something you carried with you 
to the pop realm because, again, I think that, you know, your music has moved more towards a pop sound, and yet it's very introspective. It, it sort of it breaks a lot of the rules sometimes of mainstream pop in terms of, you know, digging into, like, deep themes and saying big stuff um, with uh, something that's really catchy and melodic and danceable, which doesn't always that, – that's not always the case in pop music. Mm-hmm. I mean – it's so hard, right? Because we're not really, it looks the opposite of what I'm about to say, but we aren't really trying to do anything. We're just making music that we really enjoy. And we grew up in the 80s and we like 80s music. And we had played acoustic guitar and electric guitar and had more of like an indie rock sound for over a decade. And we were entering our 30s and we were in such a cool spot. We had this really amazing, vibrant community. And it sounds silly to say, but in 2007, we collaborated with Tiesto and the EDM world accepted us without question. There was no analysis. There was no, hold on a second, girls, before you get up in front of these 30,000 people at Bonnaroo. You're in the indie rock world. You're not allowed up here on stage in front of all these people. We just went and everyone loved it. And we started to think, man, maybe we should play with our sound a little more. Maybe we should try pop. Sarah was bored playing guitar. She was... We're both classically trained piano players. That was our first instrument. She started contributing more songs that were based on the piano. I wrote Closer very early on into the demoing process. Everybody liked it. It was catchy and hooky. It was kind of natural. We wrote all those songs for Heartthrob before we chose Greg Kirsten, before we chose a pop producer. It was, it just kind of came naturally. It was, there was no premeditated thing. And Sarah and I both just found pop music really interesting, starting with like Robin and Alicia Keys. It just started to get really... It was introspective. It was Sarah that sat us down in the van one day, I remember, and played The Dream for us. And The Dream, of course, is like a very famous producer who like, wrote Umbrella. Okay, yeah. So just to give the people listening a reference point. And Sarah was like, don't you think it's so weird? The Dream put out a record of his own. And all the songs were like, forgive me, and about feelings and whatever. And Sarah was like, you know, pop music is, is getting introspective. And it is getting really it feels very honest and reflective. And I think that that really appealed to us as an emo, indie, folk, rock, whatever kind of band we were. We'd been called everything, but one thing that everyone could agree on was that we talked about our feelings. And when pop became kind of full of feelings, I was like, we were feeling that. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't even just feelings. It was sort of, I mean, this is like very broad. I don't think you could necessarily back this up across the board. But (laughs) what I was listening to anyway was sort of representing almost a a gender flip too of what was happening in indie rock. In a way, you know, um, the the voice of certain female artists that I was listening to, like Alicia Keys or Robin or Beyonce, they were incredibly empowered, even when they were talking about being let down by people or being broken up with or whatever it was. There was something really powerful about about that to me and it really spoke to me and I I feel like Tegan and I have sort of always maybe been a bit off-putting to people in the indie rock and rock world because as women we were very confident even when we were singing about broken hearts we were doing it in a really loud way maybe even what would be described as sort of a masculine way and I think that actually really turned people off on a subconscious level and um, I started to hear that more in pop music and so I was of course like oh that's what I want to listen to and men you know like Tegan brought up there were certain men in pop music like Justin Bieber and The Dream and people, they were almost singing, they were singing in falsetto. They were singing in voices that were more like what I remember from my childhood, people like Prince. And they were singing without fear that they didn't sound masculine. So then that was interesting to me, like to have men singing about what it would feel like to give a woman pleasure. Like that was really new to me. And that you were definitely not going to find that in the indie rock. Like you were, you were nothing against Wolf Parade. I was for some reason, they're the band I just thought of, but you weren't going to hear like Wolf Parade singing about giving a woman pleasure in a way that felt very feminist. And so I don't know, I just was interested in what was happening in hip hop and pop music. And, you know, I wanted to say one thing too about, you know, lyrics. I think that one thing that we've, 
even it's one of the criticisms that people from our early part of our career they'll say oh but the lyrics aren't as good or they're not as introspective but I think they say yours aren't yeah and I really and that was something that I really took personally because I probably labored over our lyrics more than than Tegan did but I think, if anything, I, I feel a sort of embarrassment about how vague and sometimes opaque, like, early songs are. Like, what in the hell is Walking with a Ghost about? Like, I mean, I know what it's about, but why would you ever even have any idea about what that's about? I mean, it's like an but abstract that's, I mean, there's sexism, you know, or just, it's that we question women always. Everything yeah. they do, if we wear makeup, oh my God, why are they wearing makeup? You know, oh, they're playing more pop music. Why are they doing that? We rarely ask men that. You know, actually, some of the people we really respect in the indie rock community, they've done the same thing we have. Look at that last Arcade Fire record fascinating very interesting stars same thing metric i mean and i don't know i mean i read their press it doesn't seem like anyone's really challenging them they're being they're in the studio experimenting and trying and like with us it was like oh we we must be deliberately trying to make money and sell records and p.s yeah (laughs) or did yeah yeah why is success so gross when it's on a woman it's it shouldn't be and we just refuse honestly i don't even worry about it i literally spend zero seconds a day thinking about it because it's so stupid to me to think that anyone would question us for wanting to be successful the only time it would be offensive is if we are compromising who we are and we aren't we've become more us and you've also you know been able to be more open about about gender and sexuality in pop music which again i think um even though i think pop music and dance music i mean the world of pop and dance i think has been a world that's embraced um you know people of different sexual orientations and gender expression um but i think that's i think maybe where the subversion comes in in a way too that there's a you know so i wanted to ask you um, was that intentional? You said earlier that the movement towards pop wasn't necessarily some sort of master plan. It's just sort of where you grew. But in terms of, you know, queering mainstream pop music, was that something that you thought about and said, we want to have, you know, we, we want to sing music that's unambiguous about, about, about two women? I mean, it definitely wasn't a conversation that I had, I've always just written what feels really natural to me. I've never gone in with any kind of like directive from myself. And I, I, I sort of write what feels natural and then I'll sort of actually s- uh, send a lot of my songs to Tegan and my best friend Emmy. And Emmy is like much more of a sort of cerebral thinker, political person. And she would d- really be hard on me sometimes. She would be like, no one's going to know what you're saying here. Like, why don't you say something like this instead? You know, she would be really hard on me. But Early on in my relationship with with Emmy, she, I remember her saying, "Why don't you like? Why don't wh- you know? Wh- why don't you say she or her?" And I just remember thinking back then, like, "Well, why? None of the guys that I listen to sing about she or her. Like sometimes they do, I guess, but like most of the time it is you. Why can't why can't I say you? Just like all the guys get to say you. You know, and, what's, you know what's weird is, is that I was just thinking about this on stage during soundcheck. But and how come you don't want me? You do say she. Well, I say she about. I, I say she about the person that the about sure the girl that I like like yes I you could defined, read into it for sure yeah still like I, it was interesting because someone had but we don't have to go we don't have to don't use pronouns but you did on the last record say she and and you also did um well I did they, we don't use pronouns to describe our significant others or the person no in the but again like it's open like you know like there's definitely been I think that we've always. I think we've always had an element of that in our music, but I agree with Sarah that it was more universal feeling. And I, I, I did. You know? I just honestly, I just didn't think about it. And and recently, I've thought about it only as an afterthought. Like when I was writing boyfriend for this record I wasn't like you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna write a sort of I'm gonna write a song about gender and you know I'm gonna be playful with it like I just thought you know it's something I refer to myself as 
my girlfriend's boyfriend. I just do. It's like, and it's, I do it as a reclaiming and a sort of thumbing my nose um, at something silly. I mean, clearly I'm, I'm, I understand that there's a sort of playing into these ridiculous stereotypes. Like when I take the garbage out and I come back and she says, oh, thanks. Thank you, boyfriend. And we're joking, you know, we're joking. We're not trying to like hammer down these like stupid stereotypes about what a man does and what a woman does. But to me, it was a playful sort of affectionate thing that we would do and I didn't even think about it when I was writing the song but I think even that like I think even showing that playfulness of queer relationships which is something that we only tend to keep among ourselves that doesn't actually get broadcast in the world become something you know because I feel like I feel like if like especially like you know like like pop music of all stripes I think for queer people you have to kind of read like imagine yourself into the music in the same way that you have to kind of imagine yourself into a lot of like movies and whatever and I think that just in changing the pronouns or offering that perspective it's kind of forcing a straight audience to imagine themselves in something sure. else you bring up a good point too that I've never had to I did I didn't I didn't ever know that that was what was happening when it came to the straight voice like heterosexual you know relationships in music I've never I've never had to say to myself let's see if I can imagine myself in this it's like that's the only perspective I've ever on you know a majority level um you know been accustomed to so I just I, I think you're right and I think that's why if 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 I was doing it um, if I was if I was not adding pronouns, it would have been a subconscious choice. I think I was just mimicking the heteronormative, you know, singer songwriters and music that I had heard my whole life. One thing though that you started with, you said that maybe that there was more confidence. And I will say, like, not to make it about me, but like the the song that opens the record, that girl. In the past, I would have not said that. I wouldn't have said girl because I would have been really self conscious about eliminating men. Like men who are listening won't be able to relate because I'm saying girl. And I think that we have progressed, whether we know it or not. I agree with Sarah. It is mostly a subconscious thing. But even for me to go as far as to finish the song and keep like, when did I become that girl? It's like I would we wouldn't have done that in the past because we would have been afraid of being a chick band for chicks, you know, like these ridiculous limitations are already put on our band. We have fought against that by trying to be universal, by constantly saying, no, 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 no. No, we're for everyone. We're for everyone. We were always doing that, which is, which goes against how we were kind of how we grew up. Like, I mean, we were so influenced by the, you know, by the Riot Girl movement, and that was all about like girls to the front, yeah. right? And and then we start making music, and it's all about like, no, 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 we're universal. We're we compared ourselves constantly to male iconic artists from the '80s, you know, Prince and Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty. We always were showing we we refused. Well, that's uh, who we related to. I mean, no, we related to it, really but we also we, did, we were like, listening to Ani DeFranco when we started our career, and that was the person that we called and we got offered a deal. Was we called the Righteous Babe Record the Hotline, like you know, to ask <laughs> questions. Like the truth is, is that like I think that we whether we knew it or not, I think we actually actually did push down some of of our female influences and by some of that stuff just without even I don't think we did it intentionally I think that we felt like we would be limited we felt like we would be caged we would be put into a special section for women and I think that we have grown more confident in 17 years I also think that we're just digging deep and we're really starting to talk about things like in a really 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 revealing way and I think whether it's boyfriend or Sarah talking about marriage on Be With You or me saying when did I become that girl on that girl I think we're starting to say like we're going to write about the things that move us whether it relates to you or not I think we're in a culture or a moment in society and culture where we should be able to say that and have men stand in the front row and say yeah, yeah. it's interesting when I think about you know um, Beyonce's Lemonade and mm-hmm. how much she rooted it into a black female southern experience yep. and I think the kind of the surprise by I think a, some white fans which mm-hmm. is like 
oh, is this for me? Can yeah. I, like, am I allowed to connect to it? And sure. of course you can. I mean, of course anyone. I feel like this is the record I relate to most of that Beyonce's ever done because yeah. it feels so intense and emotional and real and, yeah. and angry. And I like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think really rooted, like not, I mean, um, you know, not not sort of, I think often there's this, that, that something like transcending your identity is sure. seen as a good thing. Yeah. And I feel like what's so interesting about what she's done and I think what you guys have done with the new album is it's not about being universal. It's about being super specific and true to yourselves, which then actually yeah. becomes a universal yeah. thing in a way. It allows people to plug into something, I think. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you know, even just as we're talking about this, my brain is sort of firing off a lot of different thoughts. But, uh, you know, in in not being specific, I also think that and in, in, in mimicking a lot of the male artists that we grew up listening to, I, I don't know that I I don't know if I was as specifically as Tegan was describing, you know, putting myself into a more universal box. I, I, I think probably it has more to do with my gender identity and who I attached to growing up. And I, I think I wanted to be like the men that I liked. It wasn't that I didn't love Kate Bush or Annie Lennox. It was weirdly like I did actually, I can remember as a small child imagining myself on stage singing Groovy Kind of Love as Phil Collins, not as Annie Lennox. You know, like I wanted to be a man. <laughs> I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to I wanted to be Joey McIntyre from the New Kids on the Block. So it makes sense to me that I would have mimicked. We were you like, know, Tiffany who? Yeah, no, but I loved <laughs> Tiffany, but I kind of like, I, I think probably like if I really get down to it, it's like I was I was admiring and sometimes objectifying women in when I was listening to their music or when I was like when I was sort of um I don't know, counting them as something that I was inspired by. Probably Ani DeFranco and Sinead O'Connor are probably the only two women I can think of that to me were very masculine. And so I I did I sort of did take them on more like I would some of the male artists that I was listening to. But anyways, that's here nor there. But I I I was gonna say about boyfriend, one thing that has been an interesting reaction, this sort of transcendence of of gender in songs has often actually still just made us like for women like a lot of people have oh it didn't matter how universal we were it didn't matter how vague we were about what we were singing about now that we are singing so specifically the interesting reaction to me has been from men straight men and gay men come to me all the time and tell me how relatable boyfriend is and I'm like isn't it so interesting that once I've assigned myself officially a male gender a man is able to say oh I really get that yeah oh I really I've had that happen to me before because it's kind of like the friend zone like in their yeah. world it's kind of like the friend zone they're, experience they're basically yeah. like I have had two girls or two guys kind of play me around like that I totally relate to your experience but what is interesting to me is it's not even that they relate to the experience they relate to me because I am a, I am calling myself male in the song I'm a boy I'm a I'm the boyfriend and so finally these guys are able to come up and go like I totally relate to you and so it's interesting because for me I think as a woman and as a queer woman I've had to sort of I've had I've had 35 years of experience of putting myself into the into the experience of other people and doing that successfully um but for men I think it is really unusual gay men or straight men like I think that it's unusual for them to put themselves into the perspective or you know into the shoes of someone who is not like them yeah one of the things that um, has also, in terms of introspection and in terms of going deep um, more recently in your music, is talking about the relationship between the two of you and some of the conflict you experienced. And I know that, Sarah, that you you wrote music about this. And I'm wondering what that experience was like to write about it and then have Tegan listen to, listen to the music that you wrote about what was going on between the two of you. Initially, I was far more self-conscious about what it said about me than I was about what it said about us because the songs are really especially white knuckles 
that that's to me about my identity and sort of like my evolution in figuring out who I was at a at a sort of stressful period of my young adulthood. And so I wasn't even necessarily, Tegan plays a huge part in that because it was sort of our fracture and our estrangement that allowed me to finally sort of define myself as an individual. And, and so it makes sense that she has to be, you know, a part of my, <laughs> my storytelling. So, you know, I feel, I feel bad sometimes because I feel like it sort of puts our relationship in a very vulnerable uh, place where it can be criticized or critiqued or, uh, or exploited. And so I've been really sensitive about it, but, uh, yeah, so I mean, I I didn't feel self conscious that Tegan would hear it and and be injured or be insulted. I think that we're both very sensitive about our relationship and not using, you know, our conflict to exploit the band or to make the band seem more interesting. We've certainly seen decades <laughs> of like sibling rivalries and bands, and I'm I'm incredibly turned off by that. I don't think it's anybody's business, and I think it was it's it would have been a far more uh, demented thing to do it when we were really going through these issues in our early 20s. Now at 35, when I think our relationship is really mature and adult and, you know, any scraps we might have are, I think, probably more civilized than uh, even like, you know, the the sibling arguments or fights that my normal friends have with their siblings now. Like, I think we've almost become like clinical with each other and trying to figure out our conflict. But uh it's easy to do it now because I don't feel like I have anything to resolve with Tegan. We could give like a master class on how to get along. Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't feel afraid of, I don't feel afraid of it. If anything, like I said, I mean, I, I'm more sensitive to what it reveals about me and mm. what it reveals about my sort of uh, difficulties as a young person. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the most interesting part of the songs, and I hope people don't overlook it. I mean, we, ultimately we always want people to insert themselves and, and, create their own meaning so I don't want people to listen to a hundred times or white knuckles and, and think about our relationship but if perhaps you are interested in knowing the thing I think is that's most interesting is is that it's Sarah talking about a very very important time in our lives where we were just starting to sort of get our bearings and starting to really feel like we were in a band and there was this massive choice Sarah made to move across the country and move away from me and to start to identify as her own person and the struggle and the terror we felt when everyone around us was going you must love your your life and you guys live in your dream and it's so exciting and everything's going great and meanwhile we were like in hotel rooms screaming to the point of like you know calling and threatening to quit and calling our managers and them having to come out and you know break up these massive emotional awful fights and it was something that but then we would get on stage and it would be like professional I mean and also I mean a lot of conflict between any two people even sometimes when I'm fighting with people I and I know I'm wrong there's a like sort of litigator brain where I'm like but I will be right by the end you know like I will get to the end of this and even if I was wrong you will understand uh you know to a cellular degree why I was right though in being wrong and I think that there's something about both of those songs that you know the takeaway for me um in both of those songs is that I'm admitting my own faults you know it's not about highlighting what Tegan was doing wrong because Tegan was wrong a lot of the time <laughs> but for me, those songs are both admissions of, of uh, you know, t I'm taking responsibility for how I, I, I disrupted that relationship. I, I, I was the one who instigated that break and, you know, and my independence depended on it. And I think also we've spent years writing songs about how other people have injured us. I mean, we are masterful about telling other people what they've done wrong, but it is <laughs> a whole other thing. There's a whole other life, you know, and it's not because I didn't, didn't know the other side of it. I mean, I've spent um, an, a ridiculous amount of money 
on therapy, I know what I've done wrong. I just don't find it that interesting to write about it. And so to find a, you know, just from a creative place to, to sing about what you know are your faults yeah. and the things that you've done wrong, it doesn't feel as good as singing about the way someone else yeah. wronged you. Yeah. Um, Sarah, thank you so much, Tegan. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you. So nice to talk to you. That was my conversation with Tegan and Sarah. Their latest album is called Love You to Death. And before we say goodbye, off the album, here's a bit of their latest single, Stop Desire. I can't deny I'm begging for attention. Dropping hands, hoping for some tension. Getting tired of making all this racket. Waiting on you to get your ass in here. I didn't want to be so That was a little bit of Stop Desire from Tegan and Sarah. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening. We want to know what you think, so send us your feedback. You can follow us at Chatelaine on Twitter and Facebook for more info and updates. You can subscribe to UpTalk from Chatelaine on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like the show, and I hope you do, you can rate us on iTunes. UpTalk is produced by Rachel Matlow. The theme music is by Ralph. I'm Rachel Giza. Talk soon. Talk soon.